So we've been working our way through the Beatitudes, and this morning Chris read our, our one-line verse from Jesus, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Our theme this morning is Mercy Pays. For the past 35 years, there's a group of men who have met in Boston for a weekly event simply known as the Thursday Morning Breakfast. They gather at about 7.30 at the Union Club on Park Street for fellowship, breakfast, and a 25-minute devotional talk from a rotation of four monthly speakers. And for the past 10 years or so, I've had the privilege of being one of those four monthly speakers. When it's my turn to speak, I often ride into Boston with Tom Harrison, sometimes with John Dean and Rick Frazier, who all enjoy the experiences and the blessings of this Christian men's breakfast. And when we go in there, we park on the opposite side of the Boston Common and then walk through the Common to get to Park Street. And as we walk through the Common, we often encounter encounter a man with a self-appointed job. His name is Gilbert, and we love Gilbert. Gilbert sits on a park wall and calls out the headlines from the morning's news to all the people who are passing by, whether they want to listen or not. And he calls out things like, the Red Sox have lost five games in a row. There's rain in the forecast this afternoon. CNN fires three workers for coming to work unvaccinated. The United States won two more gold medals in the Olympics and things like that. And so by the time you walk through and walk past him, you've got a handle on all the headlines that were on that morning's news. And when we walked by Gilbert, Tom started the habit of slipping him a dollar. And we've all joined the many who press a dollar into this man's hand. And sometimes we get to stop and talk with him. In a sense, Gilbert provides a service by calling out the headlines and by treating people with this tremendously, overwhelmingly cheerful attitude. But the underlying truth is that Gilbert Gilbert is often homeless, struggles to meet his needs, and is dependent on other people to help him. So the act of slipping him a dollar or two on a regular basis is partly driven by mercy and partly driven by respect for what Gilbert adds to the Boston Common experience each morning. A couple of weeks ago, I drove to the breakfast on my own, and I noticed that Gilbert wasn't at his post. There was a noticeable gap because he was missing. However he came to this role, we have all found this fondness developing for Gilbert, and his absence made me wonder if he was okay. Tom's habit has become my habit, and something is missing from the day when Gilbert is not at his post, and he's not offering that simple gesture of mercy. I was thinking of that experience of extending a bit of mercy to Gilbert and receiving it from him as well on, on a regular basis for the past few, several years as I was contemplating our focus for this fifth beatitude that we're looking at this Sunday. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Today we're in part five of our unusually blessed series, which focuses on the attention-getting often paradoxical statements from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that we commonly know as the Beatitudes. They are wonderful statements. And I chose this title for the series on purpose because they are reminding us that you and I are unusually blessed the more and more we walk in alignment with Jesus. The question of the day as we look at this fifth Beatitude is, what did Jesus want us to know about mercy? So good morning to all of you and welcome to North River Church Welcome to all of you who are gathered here on our Pembroke campus this morning. You are a lively bunch, and and this is fun already. And I want to welcome all those of you who are watching from home 
online. You are very much a part of our community too. And we recognize that our online services have become the front door to North River's uh, ministry and to life in our congregation. I can't tell you how many people have walked in here over the last month who've told me, yes, I found you guys four months ago or five months ago or ten months ago. I've been watching online, and today's the first day that I chose to come. And so I recognize that some of you are checking us out, and I hope that you will be blessed as you are part of this service this morning. On Friday at the Global Leadership Summit, we had an amazing experience. I wonder if you guys would roll a couple of those pictures from the summit we had about uh, 60, 65 people here who were a part of this leadership conference for two days. And uh, then we had probably another 35 or 40 who were online. But we also gave birth to a second site where we sent some folks out and, and we got a New Hope Chapel in Plymouth lined up. And so they were meeting at Sacred Heart High School in Kingston. And there were about another 75 or 80 people who participated through New Hope. So we just about doubled the amount of people who participated by giving people away and sending them off, which was really kind of a fun uh, experience. And we, we learned a lot over the last few days. But while we were at the summit, I spoke with a Catholic woman who lives in Marshfield. She mentioned that she appreciates reading in the Marshfield High School newsletter each fall about how North River Church members serve all over the South Shore by tending to the grounds and doing cleanup projects. And the ones that make it into the, the Marshfield High School newsletter have to do with the... the the plantings and the things that we've done to clean up that area. So I explained to her about our annual big event, which is coming up on September 12th, and I bragged about our Go Team ministry and about all of you in the way that we do that. So why am I mentioning this? Partly to give you a heads up that's coming just around the corner in a month. Love to have you be a part of that day. But also, it reflects one of North River's goals that comes through our vision statement, which is people being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. I wonder, would you guys, would you throw that up there? Do we have that slide? Would you guys read that with me? We'll just kind of reinforce, this is who we are becoming. People being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. Oh, Lord God, change us with your love and grace. And while bringing about godly changes in us, change every part of this world. In the name of Jesus that we have just sung, that is, that is beyond compare and has no equal. Amen. This morning our theme is How Mercy Pays. Think of the songs that we just sang a moment ago. We sang, Your mercies never fail me. I will sing of the goodness of God. Four things that I want you to know about how mercy pays based on this verse. The first is that mercy aligns us with the character of God. There is a direct link between God and mercy. Let me just run through a handful of scriptures here. Psalm 145, verse 8 in the ESV says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all He has made. Here we find twice in one verse the repetition of this theme that the Lord is connected to mercy, that part of his character is to be merciful. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
So Paul is reminding us, first of all, that God is rich in mercy. What a wonderful designation. What a wonderful description of God. But it's also saying that at the time that he comes into our lives, we are locked in our own rebellions of breaking his laws. That's what transgressions are. And he's reminding us that our salvation is always by grace. It's never earned. We never clean ourselves up so much that God says, I am so impressed. You've just got to come on into the kingdom. Rather, he meets us where we are when we fall short. And he says, I love you so much, I'm going to let my grace fall upon you. And I'm going to change your life radically. Then James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 adds to this. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he's not saying that there aren't times when we should be discriminating or have judgment about what's right or wrong in life, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And if you have to lean in one direction or the other, James is saying, lean in the direction of mercy, not in the direction of being judgmental or full of judgment. So here's the first demonstration that we have here is that mercy aligns us with the character of God. Our God is a God who is rich in mercy. The second discovery is that mercy links us with great leaders from the biblical era. Think of how Joseph showed mercy to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. There are several chapters in the back end of Genesis that deal with the life of Joseph. When he was 17, his 11 brothers were, well, 10 of his 11. His younger brother wasn't part of that. But 10 of his brothers were moved by jealousy, and they sold him to a band of nomadic desert traders, took his robe and smeared it with the blood of an animal, and then allowed their father to think that Joseph was dead. Joseph ended up being sold as a slave in Egypt. Years later, through a a number of ways that God miraculously blessed him in the worst of situations, Joseph rose to a very high position in the land of Egypt and managed Egypt's crops in preparation for a great famine. When Joseph's brothers came down to Egypt because there was no more grain in the land of Canaan, they came down to buy food from Egypt. It was Joseph that they had to come to, and they didn't realize it. And Joseph, who had great power over them, showed them mercy, even though they deserved far worse. And one of the greatest verses of the Bible emerges from that, Genesis 50, 20, that says, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And Joseph becomes one of these phenomenal examples of what it is like to understand our God who is rich in mercy and then extend mercy to other people. Another example of that is when King David showed mercy to Saul. Uh, David wasn't yet the king. Saul was. It was a strange time. Israel's king Saul was still on the throne, but David had been anointed by Samuel as the future king when he was still a young teenager. The Lord had seen enough of Saul's unwillingness to follow God's commands, and even though David had been one of Saul's most loyal soldiers as he grew up into manhood, Saul tried to kill David on several occasions. So David had to run for his life. Eventually, David was surrounded by a band of renegade soldiers who were drawn to David, and they served him with great loyalty. But they remained on the outskirts of life in Israel. And then there were two occasions that Samuel records in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and chapter 26 when David had the opportunity to kill King Saul. And both times, he responded with mercy and let Saul know that he could have taken his life 
And at the end of that second occasion, Saul speaks to David and calls out in front of all the troops, you have been more honorable than me. I will no longer seek your life. And I know that God is going to bless you greatly. And God did. There are many different uh, examples of leaders showing mercy, but let me just show one more. Moses showed mercy to his sister, Miriam. You think of Moses. Moses was the singular great leader who led through the Exodus, led people out of Egypt and, and toward the promised land. And at one point, his sister Miriam opposed him. And she wanted literally to move Moses out of the way and she was going to take over. And the Lord struck her with leprosy. And Moses pleaded with God to show mercy to her. And she was healed because of Moses' prayer and Moses' plea to God. So we see that mercy aligns us with the character of God. Mercy links us with the great leaders of the Bible. Here's the third discovery. Mercy connects us to the teaching of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a king who shows mercy. This parable was prompted by a question from Peter. He asked, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then thinking that he was magnanimous with his tremendous mercy, he said, seven times? And Jesus answers, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he tells this parable. Parables are stories designed to teach a memorable point. This story begins with a servant who owes a king 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. This was about 20 years worth of salary. So in our day, this would have been roughly $2 million. The king became aware of the debt as he was settling his accounts. And he applied the standard remedy of that time. This servant and his family would be sold as debtors to repay the debt. And they would work as slaves. Of course, they'd never pay off the debt. They would just have a miserable existence all their lives. But then this servant begs the king for mercy. And when he did that, and when he said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything, the king acted with mercy, forgave the debt completely and let the man go. The parable then takes a surprising turn as Jesus continues his story. This newly freed servant finds another servant who owed him a considerable yet smaller amount of money, about three months' wages. In other words, a few thousand dollars as opposed to a few million that the first servant had owed. And when this second servant begged for patience and time and says the exact same thing, that if he gives him patience, he'll pay it all back, the first servant has him thrown into debtor's prison instead. You can imagine what happens. As Jesus is telling the story, the king hears about this outrageous act, despite the fact of mercy that this first servant has been shown. And he calls the first servant in. And he says, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? That's where that word enters this parable. And then he handed him over to the jailers. The word mercy shows up in Jesus' question to this servant. Shouldn't you have had mercy in the same way that I showed mercy to you? This mercy stands side by side with the swift justice of the king that is applied at the end of the story. Justice is getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we actually deserve. Now, there are times in life when justice is the right response and also when mercy may be the right step. The servant who had been shown great mercy acted as if that mercy had never touched him or had never impacted his life. So here's the point that Jesus was getting at with that parable. Those who receive mercy are expected to extend mercy. 
those who have received mercy and who truly understand what that mercy is are expected to extend that mercy outward to others. Jesus' concluding words then come down with authority at the end of the parable. He says, this is how your heavenly Father will treat you if you do not forgive a brother or sister from your heart. He's saying that our acts of mercy connect to the teaching of Jesus as those who extend mercy because we have received mercy. There are times when someone else's harmful acts and lack of true remorse requires justice or that you protect yourself from further harm. But mercy separates us from the harshness of this world and marks us with the grace and mercy we've received from Jesus. In other words, we are known as followers of Jesus when we extend mercy received, and now that mercy becomes mercy given away. And then there's a fourth way we see this, that mercy unites us to the mission of Jesus. Jesus' entire ministry was marked by moments of tremendous mercy. Think of it, he, he restored mobility to a man who had been paralyzed and had lost the ability to walk. His four friends carried him on a stretcher. They tear the roof off a, off a home in order to bring him in front of Jesus because the crowds are so great. And when Jesus healed him, he not only healed his body, but he also announced that his sins were forgiven. This is phenomenal mercy. Medical mercy and spiritual mercy all work together as one. His ministry was marked by mercy to blind beggars, to the sick and diseased, to social and spiritual outcasts as well. He forgave the sins of crooked tax collectors, women of the night, and people who were broken by the various addictions of life. Mark's gospel states that Jesus announced to his disciples that he himself would be handed over to human hands and that he would suffer and die only to rise again after three days. Mark tells us this has, it puts us in Jesus' words three times as Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem for that final trip. Jesus announced this, that he was doing this to take on the punishment for our sins, to satisfy divine justice, and to offer divine mercy to all who put their personal faith and trust in him. This is why we sing songs like the one that, the one that we did this morning, that there's no other name like Jesus, that there's nobody else who compares to him, that uh, there's power in the name of Jesus because he's conquered sin and he's conquered death. This is the heart and the kernel truth of historic Christianity, no matter what label we put on the outside of the church. And when we put our faith in Jesus, his grace is activated in our lives and we become children of God. Two scenes from the cross acutely put this mercy at the heart of the mission of Jesus on display. The first is as the soldiers who had nailed Jesus to the cross were dividing his clothes, Jesus calls out in an audible voice and prays to God, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I have news for you. I don't think that would be my prayer if I'd been nailed to a cross. I have a feeling that I would not have that same kind of reaction. I'm not sure if any of you would either. I hope you would. This is phenomenal a phenomenal display of grace from Jesus as he's praying for the soldiers while he's dying for sins because he's been treated so unmercifully. And then the second comes just shortly after that as Jesus hung there dying for three hours on the cross between two criminals. One of them hurls abuse at Jesus, but the other one looks at Jesus' manner and the way that Jesus isn't answering back those who are insulting him, and he calls out to him. Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says those amazing words. Today you will be with me in paradise. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to come like Superman and I'm going to rescue you from the cross. He's saying, you're going to die and I'm going to die. But if you trust me, today, the way this day ends is going to be so amazing for you. You will be with me in paradise by the end of the day. We see this tremendous mercy from the heart of Jesus. Showing mercy does not mean that we will be treated by mercy in every situation by other people. Think of it. Jesus prayed for mercy for the soldiers, and they didn't stop their work. They kept on doing what they were doing. Jesus was also not stating that God's mercy is conditioned on the mercy we show others, as if to say, for us to obtain God's mercy, we have to prove ourselves first and show mercy to other people. That would be the opposite, then, of Him granting mercy. We would have earned it. And, and we would deserve it in, in that way. And if that were the case, that that kind of full demonstration of complete mercy was demanded of us first, none of us would ever find salvation. Truly embracing the mercy of God leads us to join Jesus' mission of mercy, not just to say, thank you for saving my soul and for taking away my sins, but he calls us to join his mission of mercy to the world. And so we extend our mercy to others as often as we can. We extol His mercy in our praises, in our songs, and in our daily attitudes, like we've been doing here this morning. And we explain His mercy to those who seek to find God's mercy for their own souls, who've been confused about how God delivers such radical mercy. Here's the big idea. It's very simple. Mercy received leads to a lifestyle of mercy given. Would you say that with me? Mercy received leads to a lifestyle of mercy given. This is what God calls us to become. It is not natural. It is not on our hearts from the moment that we are born and always stays there. It actually runs counterculturally against the grain of the way most of our society operates. And Jesus calls us into his mission of mercy knowing that we have received a mercy we never, ever could have earned or deserved, that he longs to give to people, and he uses people like you, or, you and me as we are being changed, long before we're the completed projects, to bring others into the experience of his mercy and to extend his mercy even wider. One of the highlights of the Global Leadership Summit for me this week came from an interview with A.R. Bernard Bernard is the pastor of the Christian Cultural Center, which is a 37,000-member church in Brooklyn. It is mostly people of color. He was asked about how he became a Christian after years of being a Muslim. He had joined the Nation of Islam, which is led by Elijah Muhammad. He said that he went to hear a talk by a man named Nicky Cruz, who had once been the chief warlord of a gang known as the Mau Maus, who are much feared in New York City. Cruz had become a Christian evangelist in the years after he had heard the gospel of Christ and after the gospel had penetrated his heart, and he surrendered to Jesus. At that meeting, as Cruz was speaking, A.R. Bernard talked about how the Spirit of God broke into A.R.'s life in a way that told him two things, that the gospel of Jesus is true and that the Jesus that he would meet in the Bible was the one who would change his life. And he found himself hearing the Spirit of God whisper this to him, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. 
Soon this angry member of the nation of Islam was starting a neighborhood Bible study with his wife in their Brooklyn apartment that eventually became a church and that today has reached thousands and thousands of people in New York City since 1979. Here's the point. Mercy received leads to a lifestyle of mercy given. And as God has his way with you and me, he's going to lead us into moments when mercy seems outrageous, but it's how God wants to work through you and me to change the heart of somebody else. Mercy received leads to a lifestyle of mercy given. Or the way Jesus said it, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, and they will see it in many ways. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for allowing us this summer to work our way through the Beatitudes. Virtually all of us have heard these blessings from Jesus, and we've wondered what they've meant. And I have to confess, Lord, this is the first time that I've ever preached through them one by one. Thank you for teaching me so much more. Thank you for teaching all of us so much more about these phenomenal, unusual blessings that you allow to flow into the lives of your people. And while you are changing us, allow Jesus' mission of mercy to become our mission too. We pray that you will prompt us through your spirit and you will let us know when you want us to put that on display and that you will continue to change hearts and minds and lives through your mission of mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name today. Amen.